So Isaiah wrote one of the most powerful images of the Messiah, right? Isaiah described him here. We, we read it, John A., or, excuse me, Don mentioned part of it uh, a few weeks ago. We read it before, I believe Sherry read it. But Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2, says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of a deep darkness, is, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Their joy they, they rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign. He will reign upon David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What a promise. What a beautiful picture of the, of the ministry of Jesus that was to come. But it leaves me with a question. And if you're like me, you may be asking, why did God promise this? Why? I mean, instead of just making it happen, right? Why not just do it? I mean, the prophecy is great. It's beautiful, gorgeous words and everything else. But Jesus is better. Amen? Jesus is better than a promise, than words. He's real. Why not just make it happen right then and there? Why not back in Genesis just bring Jesus and make it all right? Why? God knew we needed a Savior. I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks drawing out this idea, right? Today, we're looking at the timing of the first Christmas. Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the person of Christmas, and then the Sunday after, we're only going to have an online service, the Sunday after Christmas. Uh, we'll reflect on the impact of Christmas in our life after Christmas. To start answering this question of, God's timing for the first Christmas. I want us to look at a, a story that was referenced in this Isaiah passage. One that, one that, where God compares the coming of the Messiah to Midian's defeat. Now, when I read that a moment ago, I'm sure there were some of you who said, Oh, Midian's defeat! I get it now! Right? Like some, no, nobody, nobody did that. Nobody did that. In fact, I read it like five or I read it like ten times before I ever said... What does Midian's defeat have to do with all this? But when I looked it up, I, I, it made sense. Now, n nobody in here, I doubt, I'm very sure that no one in here caught Midian's defeat. But you're not even sure who, who's Midian. But if I s said it was about Gideon, now you might say, oh, oh, I remember Gideon. I remember something about Gideon. I'm not sure. So I looked it up, and I read about it. And I wanted to give you just the cliff note version of Midian's defeat. 
you want to read it, I would encourage you to because it's a fantastic story in the book of Judges, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, somewhere in 6 and 7 for sure, but you might want to read that whole passage because it's a fantastic story of Midian and Gideon. God, you see, had brought judgment on the Israelites because of their sin. And he had used Midian, the Midianites to do that. Midian and the, the surrounding tribes and kings to bring that judgment upon the, the Israelites for seven years. He had uh, allowed them to be over, overpowered by the Midianites. And they had they'd taken all their crops. They'd taken all their livestock. They'd taken everything they had and left them with nothing. Right? And finally, God said, Gideon. I want you to rescue my people. I want you to set them free. Gideon said, uh, well, I'm of the weakest clan of the Israelites. I'm of the tribe of Manasseh, which, if you're familiar with it, they're the smallest tribe in the tribes of Israel. And, and he said, we're, the, we're like the smallest ones. That's an army of 135 soldiers out there. We've got like 20,000 tops. You want, you want to send me against that? There's, there's no way, God. No, God said, no, no, I'm sending you, and I'll be with you. <laughs> Midian still wasn't sure. And so the, the story goes into all these ways that God proved that he's with Gideon in this, right? So Gideon was like, okay, all right, I, I believe you. Let's go, fellas. He rounds up all his men, and God said, oh, you got 22,000? That's too many. <laughs> and so God led him through a process, an, an amazing process, to, to thin down his group of warriors to 300 now 300 men against 135,000 sounds ridiculous right but God said okay well I'm still not done with you Gideon I want your your 300 guys this is how you're going to fight you're not just going to go into battle and fight them you're going to use horns and you're going to break jars Gideon's probably like what you want me to do what we're going to get slaughtered in like five minutes. No, no, God said, go, when you go there, if, if you think, if you're afraid, do, it, do this. Blow your horns and smash your jars. Okay. I mean, God has done some amazing things so far in the story that I'm skipping over here. But they, they get there and they're like, all right, fellas, blow your horns, smash your jars. And they do, and the, the, the warriors scatter. Like the armies, they, they start killing each other. They just go mad. God is at work, right? Leaving Gideon and his 300 to chase down the survivors. Defeated 135,000 men with 300. It's an amazing story. It really is. I, I would encourage you to, and I got to telling it so long that my computer turned on. That's the way it works. <clears throat> it's, it's an amazing story that that I would highly encourage you to go back and read. It, it, Isaiah is saying the coming of the Messiah is going to be like that. It's going to be a, it's going to be so amazing that it's just it's going to blow it's going to be unbelievable. And you're not going to be able to believe it because my ways are not your ways, right? My thoughts are not your thoughts. God says it's going to be like that. It's going to be it's going to be so amazing that there's only one way that all this could happen. God. That's what the coming of the Messiah is going to be like. You can't understand it. All you can do is trust that God has a plan and God's plan will work. All you have to do is trust it. Part of God's plan was the timing of Jesus' birth. 
that didn't make sense because why didn't it come? Why didn't? It, why don't he, doesn't he come now? Right? Like why are we waiting hundreds and thousands of years for Jesus to come? To understand that Jesus' birth was right on time, the first thing that we have to remember is that is God's nature. That yes, Jesus came right on time because God's nature is, is eternal. We aren't. We're here on earth where our days are numbered. They're ruled by the rising and the setting of the sun, which really isn't the rising and the setting of the sun. It's, it's more about the spinning ball of mass in the middle of the Milky Way, right? That's going around the sun. It's only a phenomenon that's you see here. Outside of earth, where God is, there is no rising and setting of the sun. It's not, that's only something we deal with. That's the only reason our days are numbered, because we have the sun. God doesn't. I mean the sun in the sky, right? Second Peter 3, verse 8 says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Psalm 90 says, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Short, it's brief. It's, it's irrelevant. Time as we understand it doesn't apply to God because he doesn't live. He's not bound to this world like we are. So when we wonder, why did God wait? Why didn't he just send the sun back in Genesis? When you remember that time isn't a factor as we know it to God. So what would shape the arrival? When is the right time for God's son to come? God's plan would determine that. God's plan would be the only thing that would determine that. As Paul wrote in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. The fullness of time. That's what made it the right time for Jesus. When time was in his fullness, when everything was ready. So today I want to look at, real quick, three elements of this fullness of time that we deal with. The first one is our heart, your heart. Our study in Genesis has taught us that, that God had a plan to exercise judgment, right, and deliverance. And, and timing of that was, was limited to the hearts of man. The timing of God's judgment, when he acted, was re- directly related to the hearts of men. There was a time for creation. There was a time for a flood. There was a time for God to choose Abraham. Then when Abraham was shown the, the, the land that he was promised, right? Do you remember this part of the story? When, when, Abraham, when God took him to the land and he said, walk around it, this is your land, right? What did God say? You've got to wait 400 years. You've got to wait. I mean, this is yours, but you've got to wait for it. Why did he have to wait? Do you remember? He said it was because the sin of the Amorites was not brought to its full measure. See, there's something about the heart of man that brings about God's movement. And God wouldn't move to put Abraham in his place until the, Abraham, until the Amorites' sin had reached the point where they needed to be judged. God's plan is the right time. It wasn't a, a clock to tell God when. It was the condition of the human heart that tells God when. It was our hearts that prompted God 
to act. Now, if you read the, the chapter 9 in Isaiah, you'll read chapter, verses 8 through 21. We're not going to read it here now, but I, I really would encourage you to read it because it, it tells after the after the passage of this beautiful picture of Jesus and his ministry, it tells us, it, it tells us that, that before you see that, before you see the Messiah, there's going to be some other things. I'm promising you, some other things are going to happen. Remember, they were being oppressed, and, and God gave them this word of encouragement. But then he says in verse 12, that while things may be getting better, you won't see the Messiah because my anger has not turned away from you. My hand is still raised against you, he says. You're not able to, the Messiah isn't coming because I'm not done with you yet. God says, in the judgment, am I bringing relief in, in, this, in this break, in this pause? You're still not turning back to me, he says. That's why. Like, like this hasn't changed our relationship. You're still in rebellion, even though I've, I've relented, right? God says you don't turn back. He's going to destroy Israel. In verse 17 of that passage, it says, For everyone is ungodly and wicked. Every mouth speaks folly. I mean, this is terrible. But in, but in the pattern, excuse me, but in the pattern of the Old Testament, we have this repeated thing and as you read the old testament it, it goes disobedience followed by punishment followed by repentance then god brings mercy and then disobedience and then judgment and repentance and god's mercy and then disobedience again and the cycle just keeps going and going and going again and again and again it seems like the people never learn <laughs> and we don't <laughs> and we don't when you read the Old Testament chronologically, it's, it, kinda, it can be depressing that, man, these folks never get it. And then in the New Testament, we read in John chapter 1, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Right? God came because the Jews were ready. Not ready in the sense that they, were, they wanted him because they rejected him, right? But they came in the sense that they were being ready for Christmas. They were being ready. It was time. It was time for this to happen. Because they had become living proof that the law requiring perfect obedience couldn't be kept. They became a living proof that the law couldn't save them. That they needed a savior. That's what it was all about. God had a savior planned. The law wasn't it. But it took them thousands of years to become that living picture for us to look and say, hey, the Jews couldn't do it. And they had an interaction with God and they couldn't do it. That's, that's proof to the whole world that it's impossible to follow the law to be righteous. One is God's plan in the human heart. Secondly, Christmas came on the right time because of the fulfillment of prophecy, which some of that we've, we've looked at. Right on time, though the promise of the Messiah had been for hundreds of years, thousands of years, and this time was required for the prophecies of God to work themselves out. 
God had made promises, and it took time for those promises to be made real. It's like an artist who might paint a picture and who might start with one color and you not understand, why would they start with that color? And it doesn't really make sense until they come back and add another color from the palette. Then you start to see, oh, that's beautiful, right? But if you just stopped at that first color, you wouldn't see it. it. One time God told Isaiah in in chapter 6, he said, you're going to preach in a way that actually hardens people's hearts. That's encouragement for a pastor. He said that. Make their, the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. I'm telling you. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their hearts, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. God says, no, 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 close their eyes. I'm like, what? Yeah. So how long is this going to take? Long time. That's what Isaiah asked him in the next verse. How long, O oh Lord, am I going to keep doing this? And he said, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Until their cities lie in waste, he says. Until their houses are without people. Until their land is desolate. And I remove all the people. And the land becomes a forsaken place. Keep preaching. Keep telling. That's what he told him. That's going to take some time. In the book of Daniel, in chapter 9, Verse 24, there's an amazing prediction of the rebuilding of the temple of Jerusalem with the historical record of 483 years, right? That was predicted 483 years prior to. There's a prediction of the, the, the A.D. 30 when Jesus would be crucified, when the Messiah would be killed. Actually, it wasn't Jesus. It was just the Messiah would be killed. Take some time for all those things to come to work themselves out. These things take time because Christmas comes right on time. Right on time. And the third thing, the fullness of time, shows us that Christmas came right on time is the historical setting of where Christmas came. When Jesus arrived. At the time of Christ's birth, the world was ruled by Rome. They were experiencing what was called the Pax Romana. Uh, it, was a, it was a time of worldwide peace. It was the peace of Rome. The irony is that the peace that Rome brought came at the point of a spear. You know, like, like if you dare upset the apple cart, you will die. Other than that, it was peaceful. <laughs> Who would stand up against them? Nobody, right? And no one did. I mean, the, the, the conditions of the world and the Roman world, for sure, were, were, were such that travel was available. You could travel places uh, in moderate security anyway. It was a common language. It was Greek. Making trade uh, very reliable amongst nations and to the level that it had not been in before in the, all the world. Society was amazingly, uh, what's the word, cosmopolitan. Making it perfect place for the gospel to spread, the good news of a Messiah. Prosperity was common. But the religious world was bankrupt. The church was bankrupt. Unable to meet the spiritual needs of people because they were solely focused on political Influence. The church was 
entirely political. The world had everything to offer but what people needed the most. It was the perfect time for Jesus, the Messiah, to make his presence known to the world. And that is just a glimpse of what a great God we have. Maybe as we reflect on these things, it might take our reading of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Did you read the Christmas story this year? It might help you appreciate it a little more. I mean, Christmas is right on time. And it seems like we're always waiting for just the right time to do things. I went shopping again yesterday, and uh, I realized real quickly that that was a mistake uh, because a lot of other people thought the same thing. Uh, but I made it in and out of one store, and that was enough. Uh, <laughs> decided to wave the white flag, surrender, go home. <clears throat> but we want Christmas to be right, whatever that looks like. That doing the right things, the right time, all that, that idea flows into our life with Jesus as well. We're waiting for the right time to make a commitment to a life with Christ as our Savior and Lord. Maybe, maybe you're waiting for just the right time to make the commitment to be a member of the church. Maybe you're waiting for just the right time to to commit to a closer walk with Jesus. Maybe you've been waiting for just the right time to give up that habit. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For just the right time I heard you. On the, day of, on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the right time. Now is the right time to make a commitment to Christ, to recommit your life to Christ. As Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now is the right time to make a commitment to Christ and to receive the gift of salvation. Now is the right time to be a part of his church. Now is the right time to recommit to your marriage, to your family. Now is the right time to commit your walk to Christ your relationship to him. There's no better time than Christmas. The right time is now. I've read a few biographies, and the amazing thing is, is that many of them trace back the significance of their lives to a moment, to a decision, where everything following seemed to change. And right now, just as Christmas as I just offered to you, is one of those such moments. The right time to receive God's gift of himself. If you've never made a commitment to your a life with Christ, I would encourage you to do that today. I'm going to pray for you. This moment can change the earthly direction of your life and the eternal direction of your life. And if you are walking with Jesus now, today is the day to recommit to that, to surrender your, this day 
this Christmas to him as his disciple. That is the miracle of Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. That is the miracle of Christmas, that it's right on time, right where you are, right now. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you have provided us with such a beautiful season as this. Father, I thank you that your story of love and forgiveness never gets old. That there's such a deep, deep story, Father. Thank you, God, that you love us enough to allow your son to come and live and die so that we might live forever. Thank you, God, for giving our lives purpose, for giving us hope, for bringing peace and joy. Thank you, Father. We love you. 